Unspoken Issues. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Unspoken Issues podcast. We are back. And when I say we, I mean me, Jesse Starcher. Here with me are my Autobot pals. <laughs> the guys that were, hey, uh, they hung out with us uh, when we talked the second Transformers, that's right, Transformers Generation 2. It is none other than the man himself, Dean Compton, Dean Compton of the UnspokenDecade.com. Of course, welcome back to the Unspoken Issues. Yeah, man. I mean, don't ever, I'm the man. You be the man, you got to beat the man. I'm the man over here. Also, I am most assuredly a Decepticon. Okay. Like, <laughs> yeah. I am Soundwave, and I want, I don't want anybody to forget. Not because, not because because they're necessarily evil, but my chest also opens up and ejects cassette robots. Nice. I'm a shirt on. You can't see it. So that's that's actually what's going on, everybody. I see a doctor. You yeah, you might want to get that checked out. And Derry Wait, welcome back, buddy. You it's been a while. I'm glad you're uh, back here to talk uh, some nineties comics with us, man. You've been doing okay? Yeah, yeah. No, I, I'm very excited to uh, talk about these issues in particular, considering everyone in the world's got Spider-Man fever. No kidding. Ooh, it's like there's something going on nowadays. I don't know what's up. They certainly did us right here with the last quarter of 2021 by putting Venom 2, Let There Be Carnage, and, of course, Spider-Man No Way Home just released as well. So, the Eternals? Oh, yeah. Mm. That ties in somehow, I'm it, sure. It doesn't. It doesn't at all. <laughs> I just, that's, but that's the point of the Eternals. Like, all of a sudden, hey, we're here. We don't want to make any sense. <laughs> hey, don't forget, we're here. We've been here for a while. Long oh, yeah, time. Here we are. Long, long time. So, Derry, I believe this came out of your brain, if I remember correctly. Am I right? Is, is, are you the one that threw this one out there? Yeah, I, I had such a good time last time talking to you guys about the uh, Transformers comics, and, and Venom 2 was on its way out. And I said, you know what? Let's go back and let's look at uh, Carnage. But uh, me being me, I wanted to read the Ben Riley issues. And it's <laughs> Dean who was like, no, 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 we have to actually read the first arc. And I, I always, I always get given to him so here we are all right i'm very fortunate terrible, <laughs> i'm a terrible overlord of 90s comics but we'll uh, we'll do the ben riley stuff and you know and i'll get into why later but, but like yeah I, I wanted to you know kind of start off you know at the beginning and also i also suggested we do the cosmic carnage stuff which is like i think that's my favorite uh, carnage story actually so we'll yeah. get to all of this at some point not because anybody wants to hear it but so we don't hurt Derry's feelings <laughs> well that's good enough for me uh so yeah it better be i'm the overlord over here. Yeah, that's right. I, yeah, <laughs> I know better. So yeah, this is this is the first arc. This is our first appearance. Uh, well, I don't say first appearance, but this is the first full arc uh, featuring Carnage that came out in issues Amazing Spider-Man three sixty one through three sixty three. So I don't do a disservice to anybody who's just coming into comics themselves right now picking up this podcast i thought we'd go ahead and just kind of break down our main player we got spider-man this is the first time somebody's been on the internet and right. <laughs> somehow they stumbled upon this like ah, i gotta listen to this i've never seen a goddamn thing so like let me just go ahead and listen to this if we don't tell them who these people are that one person they, yeah, they, them in disservice. they walked out of no way home they 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 <laughs> walked into the wrong movie and they found our podcast and they were like oh man i gotta know more about these guys we need <laughs> To know. So, all right, here we go. Spider-Man. Spider-Man, Peter Parker, bitten by a radioactive spider, became the hero Spider-Man. During the events of Secret Wars, he finds a new black costume, which he later finds out to be a symbiotic alien. And when events lead Peter to decide to part ways with the symbiote, it is fueled with anger at Pete's rejection and separation. Now, that's important. 
because our next person we're going to be talking about is Eddie Brock, Venom, who was once a reporter who nearly committed suicide after failures he blamed on Spider-Man. The same symbiotic alien that parted ways with Peter found Eddie in his darkest hour and merged with him, creating the superpowered Venom with an insatiable appetite to kill Spider-Man no matter what the cost. And then we have Carnage, Cletus Cassidy, uh, created by David Michelini or Michelini, however you're going to say that. David Michelini and Eric Larson. Uh, so those are the creators behind Cletus Cassidy. Now, Cletus was jailed for consecutive life terms after going on a killing spree. Uh, and he was also Eddie Brock's cellmate after Eddie was separated from the symbiote and placed in prison. The following comics that we're going to get into here show the lead up to Cletus becoming Carnage. Now, I actually went through and I grabbed some of the pages slash panels from other comics that led up to what we're going to get into that kind of gave you an idea that some stuff was going down with Cletus Cassidy. What could it possibly be? So foreshadowing. Uh, foreshadowing. Yes, the, the in the term you're looking for is foreshadowing, Jesse. I like it. I like it. <laughs> Just to give a little bit of context, these were some of my first comics ever. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, so my reading begins with the entire medium with Eric Larson on Amazing Spider-Man. So this nice. is only about 20 issues or so after. And uh, I was reading it as much as you could be reading comics monthly at that age. So uh, these I've read these many times and rereading them. This time was a pleasure. So these, uh, these, are, these are right in that sweet spot of early nostalgia for me. I think when I think about Carnage, the first thing that pops to mind for me is it's the video game. Maximum. Uh, maximum carnage. cartridge and right. you know i mean and it, it and it is really really hard like i revisit that game at least two or three times a year and for a cumulative 18 minutes because wow i don't know how i had the time when i was younger it, it just kicks the shit out of you but a lot of great guest stars really looks good a lot of great use out of uh venom and uh car and venom and spider-man's powers and like when I, I was first getting into comic books just a little after this maximum carnage was the crossover you know i think it was where uh started spider-man unlimited number one and then ended in Spider-Man Unlimited number two. So that means it went a whole three months, right? You know, I mean, because Spider-Man Unlimited was a quarterly book. Gary said that he's like, oh, I went back and read these and they were great. I went back and read these and like, I'm like, I don't think these were nearly as good as I, I remember them <laughs> being at the time. Although I think it's impossible not to like Carnage just because he looks cool and in any medium he can do cool things. Whether he's on like uh, the Spider-Man cartoon in Maximum Carnage or as a toy, he translates across mediums in a way that I think a lot of villainous characters don't because a lot of times they try and turn them heel like we'll talk about with Venom. You look at Carnage real quick and like even here I was I was looking and it was like yeah Venom's look evolves as different people have him but Carnage arrives fully formed like Bagley just he knew what he was doing with this like he's got the tendrils the teeth's part of the costume he's bending into weird things he's like the gutters and, yeah yeah like he is a visually stunning character not that the others aren't but they to your point they clearly knew what they were trying to do here so yeah when you adapt him into something else he just it, it's all here it's all here from the get-go it's beautiful to behold man i wish i could say that i was around and collecting amazing spider-man when carnage hit i don't think i was i believe i know i was around when venom started because i've got some of the mcfarlane issues where at least i, I remember the hydro man cover and venom's like up in the corner and he's saying i'm back or something along yeah, those lines. yeah yeah that's a good um one. i wasn't a collector of amazing spider-man at that time i then 
there was always a limited budget. I couldn't exactly grab everything yeah. that I wanted to, and I was over at the Image Camp. Uh, and in those would cost the buck ninety five. Right, right. I knew of Carnage. I just never really. I wasn't picking anything up to read much about them. So, so Amazing Spider-Man three forty four is one of the first times we get to see Cletus Cassidy. I believe uh, this came out in February of nineteen ninety one. Here's now what what I loved about this was Cletus is he's scary looking. <laughs> he's a little he's a little limp compared to Eddie, but uh, he's he's definitely a scary looking dude. He's got this shiv he just keeps playing with. And yeah, yeah, I, I mean, you look here and one of the things that we're going to talk about is that like that I don't like about Carnage's portrayal here. I feel like he gets a little more nuanced later is he's just the Joker. Like if, if the Joker got a symbiote and you look at him here, Eric Larson's not even trying to hide it. Like yeah. look at this like crazy <laughs> grin, the elongated chin, the big eyes, like, you know, I'm just crazy. I yeah. can hear and, Mark Hamill looking at these pictures. I can hear Mark Hamill's voice. Right. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think that uh I think that that's one of the things that I don't like about Carnage. I think as time goes on, he gets a little more nuanced. But early on, like Venom's a character. I don't even know at this point if you could even call Carnage a character he's more of a plot device he's more like a tornado he's the mm. thing that happens you mm -hmm. know as opposed to somebody who you know is he, and that fits with the character he says you know he's like i'm into chaos and stuff but you can even see here carnage has a decided joker influence that i don't think gets discussed incredibly often that's a good point batman begins and what was the second one batman the dark knight Dark the Dark Knight. Thank you. Uh, and that was where the Joker showed up, right? Mm -hmm. And it was all about Heath Ledger say, talking about just chaos. And that is carnage all over. When you start reading more into, as we get into these issues, that's kind of all he talks about. Uh, but anyway, okay, so that's three Amazing Spider-Man 344. We get into March's issue, Amazing Spider-Man 345, March of 1991. And here's our panel here, where uh, the symbiote gets a hold of Eddie Brock. They are finally reunited, and they are able to escape. But yeah, here's the setup. These these four panels because Venom escapes and I assume cuts himself or there's just a little bit of the symbiote left on this cell bar and it drops down right here. Steady, man, whatever it was, it's over. This is Cletus thinking in his head. And then the narrator, no Cletus, it's not. Mm -hmm. well, so. The way I understand it, uh, and Gary may know more about it, is, uh, and I think yeah, Venom makes reference to this later, his suit just reproduced. Like, they just asexually spawn off, and they just did right. it at this time, and you didn't really care. Nobody cared. It doesn't matter to the suit. The His spawn's going to do whatever it's going to do. So I don't think it's like a piece of him fell off. I think this is just bad time. Okay. It's bad timing for everybody. Buddy, this is a you know a baby that came in a bad time. There, All right. there is something interesting here that that kind of has always been my head canon. I, I don't know if it's ever been put on paper anywhere, but obviously, you know, you're you're absolutely right. This thing does reproduce randomly, but at the same time, it's kind of like this suit seems to have chosen Cletus. You know, this mm. this suit is like, well, you know, I got here with Spider Man, and Eddie's been a good time. He's very strong. He's very dedicated. Works out a lot, but I don't know. The 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 kid wants something new. The kid wants this thing really if you think about hmm. it so while yeah obviously it's it's just a kid it could have attached to anyone part of me is always thinking well you know we know the symbiotes are are alive and they're thinking and part of me is like did, did it choose the you know our, our our little joker knockoff friend here he's like cool shiv let's be pals <laughs> right. All right. So we fast forward to Amazing Spider-Man 359, February of 1992. And here is where things get off of the rails for Cletus Cassidy. Later in these issues, they talk about a prison guard who was pulled through the bars 
right. of the jail cell, which is a horrifying thing to actually envision. Yeah, as you can see, Cletus, again, more of that Joker smile, that crazy grin. Uh, and here we have the symbiote basically taking over. It's red. Um, now, I'm just going through and I'm grabbing these issues. Was there was there anything that you guys can think of in between here that explained how or why he just became carnage at this point this is the only origin i'm aware of it may have okay. been uh uh enhanced later gary would probably know but this is it as far as i know it's one of those things where this character carnage he got so popular there's yeah he's had monthly books he's had tie-ins uh bendis had him torn in half and he came back like darth maul the cyborg i mean oh yeah the century did that yeah 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 if you, if you look hard enough you'll find tons of motivation but i think the original intent with with David Michelini, Larson, and later Bagley was just, you know, Venom is super popular. The suit can attach to anyone. What if he went on the Joker? What would that mean? I, I, and I really do think it's it's as simple as that. And and uh, it was mentioned before that Carnage really isn't a character. He's he's just his natural disaster. And that is perfect. That is the perfect way of describing the character because he really doesn't have a lot of motivation or characterization other than I want to kill people. And really, the the conflict comes from. You know, what is Spider-Man willing to do to stop this guy? And the answer is, well, you know, try to make amends with his worst villain. So that that is a really good way of framing this story. Right. I think another thing to keep in mind is editorially, even more importantly, economically, is Venom was hot. It was a hard time, I mean, to have series based on villains. Uh, they had done, like, the Joker in the 70s, and it was a flop. They did Eclipso in the early 90s, and it didn't really work. I don't know. There were a couple one-shots here and there, like a Magneto one-shot. or Doctor. They did a Doctor Doom uh, in Amazing Adventures. They did Supervillain Team-Up. And I think that at the time, not necessarily because of the comic code, but I think because of codes that people had, it was hard to, like write something again and again where a villain continually won. So you want to highlight Venom. You want to get, you know, get things going. You want to capitalize on that popularity. You want to make some money. Well, you need to turn him face. And one of the easiest ways to turn him face, but also be able to, you know, keep the heel one. is like, what if there was one, but he was just crazy. But mm. now it makes, it makes Venom look like, you know, it's just like in wrestling. Now this guy's the good guy because, you know, the bad guy makes him look so much worse. That's how they turned the road warrior. You know, right. the Russians showed up and now, the, you know, oh my God, they're terrible. Who can stop them? Well, the fucking road warriors <laughs> <laughs> well, they're not bad guys anymore because they're fighting the guys we don't like, you know? And I think part of it was as simple as that. Part of it was to sell more action figures, get limited series going. They tried the same thing with Sabretooth around the same time. It didn't work. It did work for Deadpool. And it actually yeah. worked in spades for Deadpool. But Venom was where they really started to try and do it. They wanted to get those that series of limited series that they wound up doing with him. And that wasn't going to work if he was uh, a purely a villain. They had to get him to at least anti-hero status. And I think that was also part of the, the, the thought process behind the uh, creation of Carnage. You're absolutely right. And it actually brings to mind a, a template that we're all kind of skipping over. But this is basically what happened with the Punisher. I mean, if you think about it, you know, you had you had a character show up, fight Spider-Man, become very popular. And then suddenly they had to figure out, well, how do we get this guy to be in his own book? And how do we get people to want to root for him? And obviously, you know, that worked to their to their benefit, because by the time this thing came out in 1992, the Punisher was one of the most popular characters right. and he remains so today. So if you think about it, it's like, yeah, this was a thing they were doing 
thing, especially in the nineties. Like who else, who else can we spin off into their own book? Who else can we build a franchise around? Right. And that is the same thing with Wolverine's a very similar story. The funny thing about the Punisher as an aside, he's very, got very popular in the seventies and Marvel didn't like it. And they actually made it to where like, remember he used like mercy bullets and they mm. made it where he like shot jaywalkers because they wanted to take some of the shine off of him because the black and white magazines he was in sold great. But if you read the letters pages, there was this weird uh, debate about whether he should be celebrated or not. So I think they tried to get away from it. And then Stephen Grant and Mike Zek just had other ideas. <laughs> and the rest is history. And the rest right. is history. And, you know, we're, I got a Punisher shirt on now. There you go. All right. Well, we're going into Amazing Spider-Man 360. March of 1992. So here we have the appearance of Carnage. Okay, this is the full costume slash coverage, whatever you want to call this here, of the symbiote over Cletus Casty. And yeah, here we see Carnage. You know, look at that. I mean, how could you not get excited for something that looks like that right there? The red face, this evil, evil looking sharp tooth grin and these eyes that are just pure white i know our reader or i know our listeners can't necessarily see this but definitely seek out this panel from 360 because the way the artist uses the negative space you start at the top you see the red by the time you get to the bottom it's just white showing the fangs it's 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 beautiful it's such a good design it's one of those things you can only really get away with in comics it's it's great and this I poor feel dude. Like Carnage missed the boat, though. Because okay. the real Death Sentence would have been letting Gunny Stein live with that name. <laughs> This dude meets his end in a pretty horrific way. It's basically drowning by Carnage. Uh, he's the first victim of Carnage, according to Carnage at the end of this panel. So uh, there we go. That's uh, going to get us into Amazing Spider-Man 361, which is our first part of Carnage. It's, it's funny to look at the timing on this and uh, just know that, like, you know, Eric Larson was doing this right before he went off to do Savage Dragon and to become, you know, one of the image founders. And it's just so funny to be like, you know, Todd McFarlane gave us Venom and then this guy came in and he helped design Cletus and he helped design all these popular guys. Like you can really see why Image became so popular right around this time because these guys were firing on all cylinders. Mm -hmm. So I just, I think it's so funny to see his name wrapped in this stuff, even if he's not going to draw the issues that we're talking about and just be like, yeah, like that's, that's what was going on. That's where the energy was. I think another thing, you know, when we talk about the influences, we mentioned the Joker, but this is also around the same time that uh, Natural Born Killers was a huge mm, sensation. Right, dude, yeah. And this is, and there's a huge focus in that, that things just happen, that nothing matters, that, you know, oh, this guy got killed because he got killed because he was there or whatever, you know, we don't really, you know, it's not about any kind of sense because that's how the world is. I think there was a movie called California with a K that was similar that came out around the same time. I think Brad Pitt was in it. So I think that's also an influence here. Like you can really see a lot of, uh, you can see some Woody Harrelson in Carnage as well, especially when he's just straight up cleaning. Oh yeah. I, uh, I understood that reference. <laughs> <laughs> that was just a sexy thing at the time. Like people seemed to really be into people studied like Jeffrey Dahmer a whole lot. Like it seemed like there was a, seemed like there was a period between like 91 and 93 where serial killers were just like, Wow, we should really talk about them and we write books about them. We need some movies. Yeah, we, yeah, need, some we movies. need something. Even more so than normal. I understand there's always, you know, this way, but it was like really, you know, hardcore at the time. Right, right. Well, uh, getting into Amazing Spider-Man 361. This came out in April of 1992, written by David Michelini, penciled by Mark Bagley, inked by Randy Eberlin, and lettered by Joe Rosen, and colored by Bob Sharon. 
That synopsis is coming up, but first let me talk about Amazon Music. If you're looking for a good platform that can fill those musical needs, Amazon Music has you covered. If you head to getamazonmusic.com slash W2M Network, you can get a free 30-day trial where you can check out over 70 million songs. That's getamazonmusic.com slash W, the number 2M Network, for that free 30-day trial. Uh, so we open the comic with Cletus Cassidy as Carnage killing one of Pete's friends from Empire State University just because he can. When Pete hears about this, he believes it is tied to other brutal killings taking place in the city, and he heads out to investigate. When he hears the description of the killer, Pete believes Venom may be behind the killings, but the last time he dealt with Venom, Peter tricked him into thinking Spider-Man was dead, leaving Eddie Brock and Venom at peace, stranded on a deserted Caribbean Isle. Trying to piece things together, Pete does some quick research at the Bugle and soon learns of Eddie Brock's cellmate, a mass murderer named Cletus Cassidy, who may just be the person behind the killing. As Pete dons his investigative journalism hat, he hits the streets to find out more and discovers Cletus was born in Brooklyn. Finding Cletus's childhood home, he finds it in a shambles, but sure enough, he discovers a naked... It's look naked to me. Cletus Cassidy inside talking to a stuffed bear named Binky. But then, to his horror, Pete watches Cletus turn into carnage and turn his murderous attention towards him. Soon, Spider-Man realizes he has a new symbiote in his rogues gallery as he sees Carnage's powers are a bit different and a lot more deadly. Attempting to dodge Carnage's onslaught, Spider-Man is surprised to learn that he cannot pick Carnage up with his spider sense, similar to his issues with Venom. During the battle, some cops appear and Carnage dispenses some symbiote projectiles, catching one in the chest. As Carnage escapes, Spider-Man finds a message in Cletus's own blood that Carnage rules. As Pete heads home, he talks to Mary Jane and weighs asking Venom about Cletus, but does not want to add another problem to the pile because once Venom finds out that Spider-Man still lives, he knows what the reaction action will be. However, after a news report that Carnage has killed an innocent family, Pete realizes he must talk to Eddie to get the Carnage to stop. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. I went there. <laughs> He's got to get the Carnage to stop. Derry, I'm going to throw it to you first, buddy. I love this issue. Uh, my, my favorite part of this issue is when, uh, in the middle of all of this Carnage, uh, Peter confronts Mary Jane about the fact that he finds a pack of cigarettes. Right. Like, it's just one of those things where, you know, it's such an early 90s Spider-Man thing where they would draw her walking around nervous, smoking a cigarette. And it's, it's obviously not something you would do today. It's not something you you would do if you adapted this but it was just so funny to get to that part and be like oh yeah that's when they introduced that i love this issue i, I know i'm a sucker for for 90s comics that's that's been well documented but this whole thing is great i mean the the, the transition between the carnage grin to the furnace with the art bagley for me is 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 one of if not the best spider-man artist I, I i i have every issue he's ever done with the character i was lucky enough to get a commission once and and his name on a book is enough for me to to pick it up no matter what but uh yeah the setup the build-up the thing at the end which they only hint at which if this is your first issue you wouldn't know but the big reveal here of course is that peter is gonna have to go get venom and the last time he saw venom venom was confronting mary jane so that that is a big deal here that is that is kind of an evolution right. of the plot going back to when they were married so this is something that everyone's really invested in and again it just it builds the stakes up the threat isn't just carnage it's the idea of like well i may have to bring back venom and he might be worse 
Dean? All right. Well, I, I <laughs> liked this back in the day, but I, I didn't care so much for it now. I, I think Spider-Man came across like a whiny putz. For the guy who the book is, it didn't seem like he was driving into the action. And even more so than normal, I understand the old record, no one is in love with old Peter or whatever, you know, from the Spider-Man record and everything. I get it that he's always a little woe is me, but this seemed like somebody who should be likable who all of a sudden wasn't. It was like season two of Netflix Daredevil. Like, I love Daredevil in season one. In season two, he's just this whiny jerk. I feel like there's a lot of uneven stuff that happens in, in this issue or th- that, that happens throughout the storyline. Like, in this issue, he's like, I can't call the Avengers of the Fantastic Four. They're busy. Guess who's on the first page of the next issue? The Human Torch. Guess who helps with <laughs> the end of the arc? Mr. Fantastic and the Human Torch. And, it just, it, it, and, and that bothers me some. You know, they bring up the cigarettes, but then it's just brushed aside, like, because he's so self-involved. Like, you know, Mary Jane's all being like, I got to tell him this. I got to do that. I want to be, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to be an actor. And he, he's like, so like wrapped up in his own stuff. He just comes across like he's a little jerkish. It is dope when he drops the Donald Trump line on Aunt May, where, you know, he, she answers the phone and he's, better not be Donald Trump, but you've already got a lunch date. So that's pretty good. And he helps his aunt with the furnace. And I, and I I like that. Honestly, he just gets owned when he fights Carnage. It just seems like, and I understand we got to get Carnage over. Got to get him over. It wasn't as cool as I remember it being, or I wanted it to be. That having said, Bagley's art's great. It's it's going to carry the day. Like no matter what else happens, like everything in it just looks so good. So you just uh, you know you can forgive a lot of other things because like even you just flipping through it fast, it's cool as fuck, and that's what matters. You know that's interesting. I, I actually don't disagree with you on the characterization of Peter, but I I guess I like that uh only because i i like that we don't love the hero and and that's always been a thing for me with peter if he's not complaining about stuff that is mostly easily fixable especially if he would stop being spider-man for a day or two like that's just part of how i understand the character but yeah you're you're right i just think it was over the top here uh, yeah, no, no, I'm absolutely, I'm absolutely not disagreeing with you. I just, again, it's one of those things where it's just white noise to me. But yeah, you're right. He he absolutely putts is the perfect description for it. So yeah, I I agree. But it was just one of those things where I, I've read so many of these and I've read this so many times that it's like, oh yeah, he's uh he's really annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I think, oddly enough, he's less annoying during Maximum Carnage. I feel like he has a genuine dilemma. I feel like he's trying to get help. I feel like when he does get help, there's character conflicts that he tries to solve. Like, Morbius wants to kill Carnage, but Deathlot's like, even though I haven't begun, I don't kill anybody. So, you know, he has to deal with those things, plus his internal thing. Maybe the, the people want to kill Carnage. I feel like there's more there. But here, he's just like, oh, man, I'm just whiny, and here's my wife, and oh, God carnage and what am i going to do about venom also should he have been that shocked that carnage didn't set off his spider sense you already right. knew this was a possibility i read that too as like because i i agree he seems completely caught off guard but there's a line later i don't remember if it's if it's in the next issue the issue after where someone asks him like why did you leave venom on an island like that seems ridiculous and he Peter Parker goes, well, I was afraid of him. So I I do like this idea that Carnage represents the absolute biggest thing that is hiding in the darkness. Like even though Spider-Man can throw cars, it's like Venom and now Carnage is something he's genuinely terrified of. It doesn't set the spider sense off. You know, he's probably thinking in the back of his head, well, does this 
Carnage know who I am because Venom knew right. who I was. True. So I, I do like the idea that Carnage is this, you said natural disaster before, and I really like that, but he's also almost like a horror movie guy, you know? He's yeah, like slasher he's, villain. Yeah, he's a slasher villain, and he's he's crazy, and you can't believe anything he says, and he's babbling, and, and Spider-Man's fighting this guy, and he's like, oh man, it doesn't set off my spider sense. What else is going to happen? How can I possibly stop this guy? I could barely stop the other one, and he wasn't a serial killer. Yeah, yeah. you know, I mean, another guy that uh, he reminds we talked about the Joker, but from Batman's Rogues Gallery is how we say his name wrong. Uh, Zaz, right? Like mm. Z-S-A-S-Z. How do you say, you know, somebody yeah. can correct me. But like, that's another guy who's just like, ah, I kill folks and that's how it is. And everybody's going to die. And I kill whole families. And like you're and like you're saying, there's something like really terrifying about that. Uh, and it ties into the slasher villain thing, too. Uh, you're right. I think that is one of the more interesting things is when Spider-Man admits that he's scared of Venom. Because, like, if you come in, like, let's say at issue 375, that shit's gone. Like, he's not scared of Venom anymore. He's not necessarily even scared of Carnage. He's more scared of what Carnage is capable of and what that will mean. Because Carnage, from the time he appears, at least to the end of Maximum Carnage, kills approximately 85% of the population of Staten Island. Like, that just is what it is. Like, he's just killing everybody. So this is, you know, I mean, so I understand, I think he grows later because I'm more familiar with, like I said, the Maximum Carnage, that dope-ass gold cover on a 375, Spider-Man versus Venom for the last time or what have you. And that's where Spider-Man has overcome some of these fears. So maybe I'm not cutting Peter enough slack for being, you know, a person. On the other hand, I'm like, bro, just get like a flamethrower because you already know what's up. (laughs) Right, yeah, you you know how to handle this thing. You That's know, a weird we, thing about having to go see Venom too. Is he's like, ah, I better go get Venom. Why? Go get the fucking Fantastic Four Sonic gun, or yeah. go get you know your buddy the Human Torch you take to see Venom anyway, or go get like Firestar. She's one of your amazing friends. That's Just right. Go get somebody. You know, like you could like. What do you need to know? I, again, if this isn't. I think it's important to know. Carnage is also a vehicle to get Venom, like we've talked about, to get Venom as an anti-hero. That's the only reason you go get Venom, is yeah. so that Venom can team up with Spider-Man and fight Carnage. Yeah. It's funny, because you made the comment about the Avengers, too, and it's like, oh, we can't get them. That's, uh, you know, they're off doing their own stuff. But then, yeah, the next issue opens, and you got Human Torch, who is a known Spider-Man supporting character. It's not even weird that he would be in the book. No, it's and not then weird at all that he'd be there. Yeah, yeah, and then he's got the, the Sonic gun from the last arc. To your point, it's like, well, if you could get all this stuff, why are you going to get Venom? What Just, do you need Venom for? <laughs> go kill Carnage. Go take out Carnage with, with this stuff that you got already. So, I, yeah. I agree. It is a I think part of it, there's the loose, like, uh, we maybe Venom will know something I don't. But then right. they get rid of that, like, eight seconds in. Yeah, so, yeah. like, you know, you know I mean? Right. Again, again, though, this is a vehicle to get Venom over as an antihero. And in that respect, it worked. Because my favorite thing about the three issues is Venom. Venom is off the chain. He's funny. He's cool. And it's actually a really solid rehabilitation of the character. To where, like, you may never forgive him for killing... Only a quarter of the population of Staten Island, but you do see his motivation and you can move along to where you at least want to cheer for him in certain scenarios. Yeah. So the couple things I pulled out of here, it's funny you guys pointed to the cigarettes because that obviously stuck with me too. I was like, my thought was like, okay, they're peppering in this obvious dysfunction that Mary Jane and Peter are going to be having throughout many of these issues to come. And it's just going to be, you know, it's going to continue to compound on itself. That was my take anyway, that these two are just not, you know, some 
simpatico as they used to be. My other thing was the mental state of Cletus Casting. We already talked about it. We talked about it. he's just he's insane. He's he's crazy. He's a murderer. But I love that point where he where Spider Man happens upon the sign and it's written in blood, carnage rules, and he rules out the fact that it's not the blood of the cops. It's actually Cletus's own blood that he drew those letters with, which just kind of, that puts him up there just a little bit further when it comes to psychotic. The, the only other thing I'll say, again, I, I know we... We love Bagley, but like he can draw action. I mean, he's he's almost like a manga artist sometimes. I mean, there, there's there's flashbacks to a couple of scenes in Secret Wars, and then you know when Spider-Man's fighting Venom, and you know Todd McFarlane is Todd McFarlane, but Bagley, like very dynamic stuff. Like no one no one stands still. No one is uh, just a caricature in these things. And and again, I mean, I, I'm looking at it now, and I'm not even reading the dialogue, and I, I'm following everything, and it's just like man. You you know, I love these when I was a little kid and I love them now. And, and just such a large part of that is the art is it really holds up. Yeah, there's it, it's funny because like it takes a while to see it. But if you look at enough Bagley Spider-Man and then you kind of close your eyes, there's a lot of Gil Kane inspiration there. Like mm. you said, there's action nonstop. They, they're, they're like styles don't look the same. But if you look, look at like their layouts, you look at how some things flow and you look at how, like you said, it never seems like anybody's standing still. You can kind of trace that, and that's a Spider-Man thing. Uh, you've always got to have that, you know, uh, represented somehow. And the only other thing I was going to say, and, and this ties into, you know, the art a little bit too, another hallmark of Spider-Man is that I think some of the more educated people know this. But if you think about sp the Spider-Man comic, from the moment John Romita Sr. takes over, it's a romance comic. The ladies get really pretty, everybody gets really handsome, and we get soap opera subplots. There's really not a more soap opera subplot that's safe than, oh, no, my significant other or spouse has started smoking. I don't know. <laughs> so I think this is a really – this has happened on soap operas, happens on sitcoms. And I think that's a really cool thing to see after – this was 30 years after – that kind of transmogrification of the of the book and it's still there there's still, still there. it, this is honestly a book that like if you were a lady reading spider-man at the time there's things for you to follow i don't just mean oh ladies read the soap operas but i mean it wasn't just testosterone big tits big guns there's a relationship here there are subplots here that you can follow that are less testosterone laden if you will and that was a big problem at the time of the 90s i, I do want to say you guys are talking about the art i loved bagley's uh rendition of the of peter finding the black costume and of course in like three panels we get secret wars then venom getting getting off of Peter and then Venom finding Eddie. I shared that on our uh, Facebook page. I really, really like that. But I mean, that pales in comparison to like, you know, Carnage sitting there screaming Carnage at the reader and Peter at the same time. <laughs> it looks freaking lovely. It just looks like he's, I mean, it, it just looks like blood. He's covered in yeah. blood, which is a great visual. The other thing I, I really like, you know, we keep mentioning Secret Wars, but I, I think, you know, one of the reasons we're still talking about this character uh, in 2021 is like, it's such a Spider-Man concept that the guy just tries to get a new costume and then within 10 years, he's accidentally created two supervillains, one of whom indiscriminately kills anyone who comes across and then 
Peter Parker being Spider-Man just blames himself. It's like, right. that's the old Parker right. look. Like, no right. one planned this out. When they gave him the new costume, they weren't thinking like, oh man, one day we'll make this into a character who'll become another character who'll become this whole thing. It's just, you know, Spider-Man as a concept lends himself to this nonsense. So, you, you know, you have you have Spider-Man facing carnage and you know deep down this guilt-ridden crazy person that is Peter Parker is thinking every cop you kill, every person you kill is my fault, is, is somehow yeah, right. my fault, even though most people would say, well, now wait a second, he was already a serial killer. But I just love that because it's it's one of those things where it's like Peter will always take an opportunity to blame himself for something that is wildly out of his control and it, it lends itself so well to this story where this guy he couldn't possibly have foreseen has such crazy power and at least a little bit of that is derived from him so again i i just think for for all the 90s excesses it, it there really is the kernel of a long-lasting story here well i Agreed. think also to put the sad sack cherry on top of that sad sack sunday in secret <laughs> wars thor got a costume oh. like other people just got one you know what i mean like thor thor's fucking helmet didn't become you know anti-thor and start showing up and it could lift me older and it was a huge older that should have been the origin of ragnarok from civil war iron man should have been like oh no it turns out that helmet he got in secret wars was sentient and evil and now we have our right. own floor that's that's headcanon i'm taking that I'm still <laughs> right 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 flies with the wings you know what i mean on the helmet like that's how it gets around and Right, you know, so just just even that's just more like poor Peter Parker. All he wanted was some co- other people got costumes. What do I get? A family of supervillains because it doesn't it doesn't even end with these, you know. So later on, right. you get like Scream, right. and I don't even know all of them at this point, like a trillion of them. But yeah. uh, but yeah, so that's just that's funny. Then you're absolutely right. It's a very Peter Parker thing. Hey, hey just to kind of backtrack here, part one was called Savage Genesis, and part two is called Savage Alliance. So this came out. Oh. Amazing right. Spider-Man 362. Uh, this came. Uh, this was May of 1992. Same creative team, except the letterer becomes Rick Parker, and colorists are. It uh, looks like they're shared between Witterstatter and Bob Sharon. All right, here's the synopsis. So Spider-Man has made his decision to go talk to Eddie Brock slash Venom, but just in case, he has brought a sonic gun along with him and Johnny Storm, the Human Torch from the Fantastic Four, is insurance and backup. When they arrive on the island, Venom immediately attacks Spider-Man, knocking Torch into the ocean, almost drowning him. To escape, Torch uses his Nova Flame to avoid drowning, but it wipes him out, and he can no longer flame on. Trying to lure him away, Spidey retreats, with Venom following after. Tracking him down, Venom is about to kill Spider-Man when Johnny Storm intervenes with the Fantastic Car, giving Spidey some time to plead with Eddie to listen. Pete tells him about Carnage, and how innocent people are dying at his hands. Venom's sense of justice overcomes his hatred for Spider-Man, and he agrees to help him. As they make their way back to Manhattan, Johnny has to rejoin the Fantastic Four and takes his leave, leaving Spider-Man to figure out how to track Carnage. But luckily, Venom says he can sense his own offspring, giving them the trail that they need. During this, Carnage's killing spree continues, and he finds his way to a union boss by the name of Robert Sutcliffe. Confronting him, Carnage chases him down, to his private helicopter and promptly throws Robert and the helicopter off of the roof of the building to the streets below. When Spider-Man and Venom find Carnage, Carnage makes a play to get Venom to turn on Spider-Man, hoping that Venom's hatred for Spider-Man could convince him to become an ally. But it doesn't work. When the noise from the battle going on above wakes the neighbor's baby... Oh, man. 
<laughs> Carnage sees an opportunity to take some heat off of himself by grabbing the child and launching it out of the window. Spider-Man and Venom leap out of the window and Venom makes the save as Carnage escapes. Venom tells Spidey that Carnage has figured out a way to block his symbiote sense. I made that up. I don't know if that's what it's called, but basically Venom cannot sense Carnage any longer and now there's no way to find him. But luckily, Carnage left a clue and it appears he is going after the Daily Bugle's own J. Jonah Jameson. So there we go. Amazing Spider-Man 362. We we get the whole arc with him going into recruit Venom. Brings Johnny Storm along. We've already kind of talked about that a little bit. But I do want to talk about, I love the Fantastic Car making an, uh, another appearance and making the save as well. What do you think, I'm Always a fan. <laughs> Always a fan. I don't care if it looks like a bathtub or an Astro blimp. I'm in for the fantastic. <laughs> right. Uh, this, this, this one was great. This, this is where uh, a little bit more of the wear comes through. I, I love that when he says like, Oh yeah, I can sense my uh, spawn. And uh, then immediately that goes away. It's like, Oh, he fixed that. It's like, Oh yeah. Cause we need something else for the characters to do. <laughs> but th there was something else I wanted to mention before is these covers uh, on this cover on 362, <laughs> there's an asterisk that says, the villain so awesome, we had to put his name on the cover twice uh, with, with respect to Carnage, because uh, the arc is called Carnage, and then he's mentioned again, and then that note appears on the next one on 363, and then on right. 361 at the top, it says, Carnage, dot, 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 the spawn of Venom. You know, once again, trying to tie it into to spawn who I assume uh, had already premiered at this point, but I, I love the little notes on the covers. Cause at this point I can't tell if it's just some editor or some marketer or what, what was going on. Uh, but, but for the issue itself, I love because, you know, as, as, as uh, Dean was saying before, you know, Venom has a really believable face turn here where it's like, he hates Spider-Man because he thinks Spider-Man is evil and he hates Peter Parker because he thinks Peter Parker is evil. And Peter uses that against him. And he says, yeah, all right, you think I'm a bad person. Fine. But carnage is really, really, really bad. And you are kind of responsible for what he can get away with. And you see the wheels turning and Venom's like, you're, you're not wrong. And I, I love that because I love the fact that Venom can remain consistent in his motivations, in his characterization, but still move in the direction the story wants to tell. And I just thought like, again, very simple, but it really does hold up here. I I want to just hop in real quick about the cover because there's been plenty of times where I have bought a comic specifically because of the cover, got into the issue and felt like I was lied to. <laughs> <laughs> and if you Which look at this Which is why you cover, only buy 50 cent comics for the cover. <laughs> Anything else, it costs more than 50 cents. Eh, right, right. And I mean, I think they kind of play into that a little bit here. Because just to kind of describe it to our listeners, what we have on the front of this is uh, Carnage and Venom versus the Amazing Spider-Man. And it looks like Venom and Carnage are going after Peter. They are going after Spider-Man and Spider-Man now has to deal with both of them. And there's a point in the book where they just throw that out there and you're like, oh crap, is this what we're going to get that fulfills what the cover is showing us? And it does not happen at all, which is, yeah, hey, look, I'm not going to complain about it because the cover is beautiful, but this is one of those covers where I was like, that's not what happened in here. What are we talking about? Come on. I can't believe that a comic book put something on the cover. It wasn't <laughs> quite what happened in the comic book. <laughs> 
Can you there's, believe it? This is the this is the first outrage. time. There's no, no precedence for this. Like this is it. Right. That's the that's the right. real reason it's the unspoken decade. What an unholy horror that was unleashed. <laughs> it was because of this. It was because of this. It's because of this. <laughs> uh, for real, this is my favorite issue of the three. I really liked how Johnny Storm. I think I think Johnny Storm was used effectively here. Although I thought he was unavailable, but he's used <laughs> effectively to tell you that like, hey, I know Spider Man, and Spider Man's not acting right. My favorite panel in all three issues is actually where uh, Spider-Man and Venom shake hands. Venom's like, put her there, partner! Yeah. Um, I, I really like how, uh, especially in this issue, because there's a, there's a, there's more of a conflict between Peter and Venom, even though they do have some fisticuffs, a little Donnybrook, if you will. The conflict really is between them philosophically. The conflict is Peter sitting here being like, should I trust this asshole? And Eddie Brock's like, you're the asshole, bro. <laughs> and I think Magley does a great job with the body language between the two of them is that Venom is much more confident in his decision than uh, Spider-Man is. He's always looking big. He's looking buff. He's bold. He's the guy who saves the baby. Um, so right. Spider-Man's off his game because of this decision that he doesn't really believe in that again, I don't think he had to make, which is part of what makes him come across. So putts like he's like, I have, I don't know. Am I doing the right thing? Going to get Venom. I'm like, well, he could, like we said, could have just taken Human Torch and that <laughs> gun and gone and found Carnage on your own. I also think it's weird. Right away, they take away his uh, ability to sense Carnage. But then they just—it doesn't matter because eight seconds later they figure out where he's going or whatever. And I'm like, you know, I guess maybe they took it away so it couldn't go and be an ongoing thing. If Venom was going to get as, as he was, he was going to get spun out into his own in his own deal. So maybe you don't want to keep that going uh, forever. But I thought it was peculiar that like three panels later, it doesn't matter. We. We got that solved. Good for us. But it was definitely my favorite. It was definitely my favorite issue. They got Carnage over pretty good here that, like, he was a legitimate, like, super heavyweight. Bagley did a great job of uh, making him look creepy. He made Venom look very creepy without making him seem threatening. And that's really tough, I think. Because at this point, he wasn't threatening. He, he's, like, hanging out with Spider-Man. He's not supposed to be a guy who's, like, coming after Spider-Man at the moment. But Spider-Man is creeped out, so he should come across as creepy. I want to give a shout-out to the coloring. We don't yes. talk about the coloring a whole lot, but the juxtaposition of the city versus the sunny tropical beach, you can really, the coloring does a great job setting up the subtext for the differences between the fight. In that I don't know that Venom was ever really going to kill Spider-Man on the island. All he says he was going to, I don't know that he would or wouldn't have, you know, because of that weird streak of honor. Once you get to the city, all the bets are off. Carnage will just kill everyone. I think the coloring really brought that forth. Those are my big comments about the issue. Okay. Favorite, favorite moment of this book is that baby getting launched out the window. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. That's, I was going to say. So Carnage throws the helicopter off the roof right. and wins the Royal Rumble. <laughs> and then he goes down and throws a baby out a window. And I feel like he won like another Royal Rumble somehow, right, like dude. instantly. Those are two great moments. One thing is for sure, it's not carnage that kills you, it's gravity. <laughs> I, I was on like pins and needles rereading this when he threw the baby out because the first thing I thought was like oh this isn't going to be some weird like Gwen Stacy homage like I didn't think anyone was going to kill a baby in a Spider-Man right. comic but it was so weird and then and then the, the Venom catches it and it's like oh yeah okay because you know the kid hasn't been around long enough to to sin in, in his warped perspective but um, the scene at the end right after that where uh, Carnage confronts Jonah is one of the most beautiful 
beautiful things Bagley has drawn. I mean, his tendrils, it almost seems like Carnage is hanging off the panel itself. You know, he's just, he's, he's dripping in and, and Jonah's just coming from this cowed position in the corner. It's just, oh, it's beautiful. We talked a little bit about Carnage's, uh, what we get to see in regards to his power set. Clearly the differences between him and Venom, uh, Venom and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it didn't like Venom spin his web like through his hands and that was kind of it. He wasn't throwing projectiles, was he, at any point? No, but okay. in the what if where the Punisher becomes Venom, he like shot fucking bullets because Frank <laughs> Castle doesn't mess around. That's right. Uh, there's no real reason to believe that he couldn't. He's just not how they utilize the suit. It's not set in stone anywhere. It's, I don't think there was anything preventing Venom from doing this up until this point other than the writers hadn't thought of that. But to me, it, it just kind of lends itself to why Carnage is such a big threat and why they had to bring Venom back to fight him because Eddie Brock is always portrayed, you know, he's, he's very Catholic. He's very put together. He's very tightly wound uh, and i feel like when the venom suit gets on him you know his life almost becomes better because he's considering yeah. killing himself he's been fired he's been divorced he's been all this other stuff and then he gets the venom suit and it's like oh man now i've got superpowers now my life is better now i can dedicate myself towards doing something um but yeah he doesn't really do all that much he's got a spider symbol on him he's got webbing you know he's he's kind of just using what's been given when Cletus gets the carnage symbiote it is night and day he's not Spider-Man he, you know he he is creating things he's like a he's like a Green Lantern to go back to your Gil Kane analogy like carnage is completely different and he is just going around he's really reveling in this new power and again you you can see the way you know Venom for the most part the way he's drawn here there's no tendrils or anything he's just he's wearing the black costume with some teeth but carnage is is just he's moving he's slithering you know you, you can almost see like i bet the costume never stops moving I, I, it's right. just like a second skin and and I, I i love that because i feel like it speaks to who cassidy is as a character where he is crazy and he is uh, uh one with the surrounding so the the tendrils the bits that come off everything else it's it's him infecting the environment Right, right. I mean, if you look at that last panel that you were talking about, uh, if you had a big enough blob of red ink and just threw it on there and, th- and threw some eyes, that's kind of like, I mean, that's the aesthetic you get. is just like this guy's bleeding all over the place. There was this video on the internet that I saw many years ago. Unfortunately, I don't remember where, but one character describes Carnage as a hemophiliac's attempt to form a scar. And I don't even know if that is accurate in any way, but it's always stuck in the back of my head. And I just wanted to repeat that because you kept saying blood. And all I can think of is this 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 cartoon character saying that. And I, I wish I could remember the reference, but uh, that's, that's what I think of when I look at this panel. That'll be with me for a while now. <laughs> I think a little thing you notice here, too, is they really get across that the relationship between Cletus and his symbiote is seems to be much more totalitarian. Like the suit try, you know, it tries to tell him, it's like, hey, maybe we shouldn't go back to where we just fucking murdered somebody. But he's like, no, nah, that's what we're doing. Eddie Brock and, and his suit, like they are Venom. Like it's a wee thing. I don't know that Carnage is necessarily a wee thing. No. And I think that, you know, Cletus is pulling all the strings. Well, on the other hand, it's not like you said, it, it, 
Eddie's Eddie Eddie's life didn't just get better because he became a superhero or or got superpowers. It's because he found a friend. He found a kindred spirit. He found somebody who believed similar things that he did and that had gone through similar things that he did. I think Cletus found uh, a very powerful baby. It's like he it's like it's, it's like he got a hold of a cosmic cube and he's crazy. You know what I mean? Like there's there's no back and forth. He's gonna push. This is a very young symbiote, so he can just do what he wants. The symbiote that 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 Eddie gets with. You know, it, it had had a life. It had done some stuff. That's yeah. Not, it was in so, jail, as far as right, as far as jail, we right, know. Right. Whatever. So, like, so so yeah. So I think that's a really cool thing that they get across here. Is just you know these are different relationships, and one of them everyone would understand, and one of them all everyone would despise. Mm. Yeah, it's almost like Cletus treats the ven the excuse me the Carnage symbiote because he doesn't say we. It's not we no, are we are Carnage. It's it's I. I am Cletus. I am Carnage. It's almost as like he's treating the symbiote like the shiv that we pointed out he was right. fingering mm. in the la you know in, in an earlier issue. It's like this is just a, a new tool to to enact his plan to create chaos in the world yes. yeah 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 he doesn't he doesn't uh think of it as a, as a friend or even as a potential it's just more knives more blades more damage so right yeah, it's, that's really interesting characterization i was Great. gonna say i was gonna say like kind of like an attack dog to like mm -hmm. you know it's a weapon that you have that's also sort of alive but like i mean obviously attack dogs are really alive but like the the symbiote is sort of alive sort of its own thing but you're in charge of it just like if you had an attack dog that you would train that that's a weapon as sure as a gun or a knife is, but it's alive. It does its own stuff. I think that's a, you know, just like you said, it's a knife, it's a gun, it's a sword. It's apparently an ax that falls apart if he's not attached to it for a little bit. <laughs> All right. Amazing Spider-Man 363 Carnage Part 3 came out June of 1992. Pretty much the same creative team. Rick Parker's on the letters this time, and this is titled Savage Grace. So Carnage has found J. Jonah Jameson at the Daily Bugle and looks to kill him. But when other employees come into the office, Carnage takes JJJ captive and leaves. Spidey and Venom arrive too late at the Bugle and find out that Jameson is gone. And Spidey has a tough time explaining that Venom is here to help. So they swing off to try to find him. Going through the city, they stumble upon a group of people horrified that one of their friends was just pushed through a marble wall, all right? Push through a marble wall at a loss as to where Carnage could have gone. Pete sees a poster on the wall of a heavy metal concert. Cletus likes heavy metal. He name-dropped Motley Crue at one point in, uh, in a previous issue uh, and believes Carnage may have taken Jameson there to kill him in front of a live audience at Madison Square Garden. Arriving at MSG... Carnage kills a security guard on stage and rallies the crowd to follow his murderous ways. As another fan grabs a knife from within his jacket to join the fun, Spider-Man and Venom show up, show up and stopping him uh, and beginning the battle with Carnage. As the fight continues in the Penn Station below, Carnage begins killing bystanders and escapes down a subway tunnel. When a confused policeman arrives trying to stop Spider-Man and Venom, Venom's warped sense of justice almost leads him to kill the cop, but Spidey stops him, setting him on target to find Carnage. Catching up to Carnage, Spider-Man is, is shown another example of how powerful Carnage is. When Carnage is hit and falls onto the third rail of the track and gets electrocuted, but bounces right back up. Carnage then heads back to Madison Square Garden to find Jameson to try and finish what he started. But as Venom arrives and battles with Carnage on stage, Spidey heads to the PA system and blasts the speakers to the max, incapacitating Carnage and nearly Venom as well. When Venom asks for Spider-Man to turn it off, Spidey wants to make sure Cletus Cassidy is down for the count and refuses. 
An enraged Venom attacks him and plans to kill Spider-Man, but just then, the Fantastic Four appear, hitting Venom with a blast from the sonic gun. Believing to be betrayed by Spider-Man, Venom's hatred grows even stronger, but he cannot overcome Reed's sonic attack and is captured. Now, I threw this in here. I know we're talking carnage, but I... I know this has some ramifications definitely for some stories that are going to be coming afterwards, not ours, but afterwards in the Amazing Spider-Man verse. You guys are more than welcome to talk about this if you'd like to. But our epilogue shows an older couple coming from Germany to New York, worried that their arrival may have some repercussions on their lives and Peter Parker's as well. Ah, I wonder who that older couple could be. But, you know, we've got carnage to talk about, Derry. Uh, <laughs> it's Siegfried and Roy. <laughs> That's right. They finally made their appearance. I mean, Derry, I'll go to you first here, buddy. What do you think of our final issue of Carnage? Uh, there, there, there's, there's so much here that I love. First of all, as a heavy metal fan, I love that Carnage is also a heavy metal fan. Not that I'm happy that, uh, you know, he's a serial killer and this seems to be. Are you the heavy metal fan who brought the knife in? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I I am not, but uh, I, I've been to a concert at the Garden, so... Uh, Who's I, your favorite I heavy metal band? Oh, well, I don't know if you would count them as heavy metal, but I'm definitely a big Slayer fan. And I like, uh, though he always said they weren't metal, but I love, I love Motorhead. You know, Lemmy, Lemmy is God. I will say that. What about um, Jesse's a big metalhead too. What about you? A Legion is probably my favorite metal band, followed up by Scar Symmetry. Oh, so the deep cuts. Yeah, yeah. He's a real, he's a real. In there, buddy. Like, I'm... I'm terrible. I'm a poser or whatever. My favorite metal band is Tool. I like it. I saw you listen to some on Spotify. I love I, I, I love Tool. I, was like, hey, I, I like Mastodon to a lot, too. Oh, I Mastodon's like great. Yeah. So those are probably my two favorites. You know, I'm not I a like huge it. metal fan, but you want to listen to a little. Anyhow, I just wanted to put that in. We're people, everyone. So, like, we yeah. have, like... We, yeah. have, we have so a, we go, have go on go on mr i brought a knife to the heavy metal <laughs> we're we're not serial killers the my favorite scene in this entire uh arc is in this issue and it's when uh robbie robertson who is my favorite spider-man supporting character i, I love him i would read an entire arc just focusing on him is asked by uh, one of the staffers if they should update mr jameson's obituary <laughs> and robbie takes a second to just do a beat and then he goes yes you have to update it and it's so dark and it's so miserable and it's such a such a great like these are career newspaper men and it's yeah. just one of those things where it's like you know jonah screams and he funds the spider slayers and he does everything else but robbie is the reason this newspaper yep. comes out day after day after day and isn't constantly drowning in libel suits I, whatever i was gonna say whatever integrity it has it's because you know robbie does the job right also so look at look at the, those panels. The guy who he's talking to, he calls him Levitz, and he looks like Paul Levitz. And I looked it up to see if there was a Daily Bugle character named Levitz. I couldn't find one. I wonder if this is an inside joke uh, on Paul ah, Levitz. Nice. Like, I can't say for sure, but like, there's there's no like. I look at Daily Bugle, Spider Man, Levitz. You know, all the Marvel Levitz. I couldn't find one, and I think this may be a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know, that's that's funny. I, I didn't realize, I wasn't thinking of Paul Levitz. I'm such a Marvel guy. But I actually thought that that Levitz character was drawn to look like Mark Bagley with the, the glasses and the little mustache. But you're right. That's also how Paul Levitz would have looked right. back then. I so. thought Archie Goodwin at first, too. Oh, yeah, 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 similar. Comics had a type back then. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I, I, I will go on record as saying there is most likely a death pool going on for the time and place that J. Jonah Jameson is going to die. Is he dying and this year? What are the Spidey's odds? Which of rogues does it? <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Or 
possibly Spidey himself. I'm sure some of them oh, made that. If anyone is listening to this and wants a really good J. Jonah Jameson story, uh, Chip Zdarsky did an annual for Spider-Man. I can't remember. I think it's Life Story or Life Sentence, whatever it's called. And it's just the J. Jonah Jameson story in an alternate reality. It's got art by Mark Bagley. It's written by Chip Zdarsky. It came out about right. a year ago. It's amazing. It's self-contained. And it's like, it's my definitive J. Jonah Jameson story. So nice. for me, brief sidebar. Uh, I think it's born again. It might not be. It might be before, but it's in Daredevil when Ben Urich is going to write the story to expose the kingpin. Oh, and like Ben Urich goes to talk to him and he's like, hey, you know, this guy's big and he's connected and it'll hurt us. And Ben's like, well, we don't have to do it. He goes, and Jay Jonah's like, no, we'll publish it. You just make sure that the, everything you're saying is true. I'm not scared of him. I'm just not going to go to war if you're a liar. And I just love oh, that yes. moment because yeah. other than Spider-Man, he's a very respected news. Whenever Jonah gets to be used in another book, it's already it's always great but it's always very caricaturish and one of the great things about using ben urich and and the the daily bugle and the daredevil books is like they show the power of the press like Ben wants to take down the kingpin and you see him with Jonah and Jonah's like, no, 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 I'm not afraid of a fight. I just don't want to lose. And like really right. like hammering at home. And it's, it's funny in that book too, because you know, Yurik is threatened. Electra threatens yep. him. He threatens his wife, threatens the whole thing. Like you really see the cost of doing business. You know, we're always joking. It's like, oh yeah, Spider-Man takes pictures of himself and sells them to this guy. But it's like, yeah, but there are other people who work at the, the bugle and they do put their life on the line. So yeah, any, anytime, uh, uh, ben Yurick shows up. I, I buy the issue, and yeah, to your point, that's that's a great uh, uh, kind of bit of a face turn by Jameson in the Daredevil book. And another thing to point out about Jameson is even like in these issues, and and all the time, if somebody busts in, if it's the Scorpion or Venom or Sandman, whoever, Green Goblin, and and they start to go after the the, the people who work there, he's like, you lay off. I'm yeah. the guy in charge here. You're going to yeah. do anything to anybody. You're going to do it to me. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I really respect that about him. Like I said, he just has a blind spot for Spider-Man for the most part. You know, and I think he gets a little in love with himself, you know, a little. But, you know, I mean, he's publisher of a big New York City uh, newspaper. If you don't have a little ego, you wouldn't be in that spot. I, I still think that uh, him being a fictional character, he's he's more realistic and evil-handed than when Rupert Murdoch owned the Post. So I, I would definitely take <laughs> Uh, but yeah i i agree jameson's got incredibly consistent characterization he's always like no i'm not hiding under my desk it's it's my name on the masthead i i own this place i own this building even in in the movies where you know he's no less of a dick to spider-man but uh, i'm thinking of the the first sam raimi film when green goblin busts in or or it might be the second one with doc ock and and they confront him and they say who takes the pictures of spider-man and without missing a beat jonah goes no no they're mailed it i have no idea who it is and it's this idea of like no i protect my people i don't like spider-man but i protect my people so right and you'll notice the only person he really hides from consistently is spider-man like that's (laughs) what he gets under his desk or whatever you know yeah so the power of carnage continues through this uh, this final issue i mean he is just continuing his killing spree i mean he pops down i don't know if you could get any worse than throwing a baby out of a window i mean that probably is up there he pops down into penn station and he's like killing people left and right um and who are already so, dead inside. They're using the subway. You know? I mean, they're on the New York, you know, mass transit system. You know, I mean, I've used it. I know Derry's used it. It's a soul crushing experience. A pet. 
Penn Station is one of the most depressing places in the world, especially oh, wow. when this thing would have been written. It's like it's like you, the the memes you see of like Soviet block architecture. Like Penn right. Station is the worst place in the world. So yeah, if you're if you're down there, you're not having the best part of your day. And then if a bright red serial killer bursts through the ceiling and starts murdering people, I have to imagine at least a couple of them were like, you know what? At least the pain's over. At least just <laughs> take me now. I don't have to get on the long. Long Island Railroad. Somebody who lived was like, well, at least something happened. <laughs> like, you're a terrible person. Down. It's like, listen, I do this every day. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, we already talked about the metal thing. I, I, I do just want to, because this was in my notes. Uh, I put in here, heavy metal doesn't get such a bad rap after all, because, yeah, we get, you know, Dean pointed out the guy with the knife in his jacket there during this heavy metal concert but there's a guy right out in the front after the security guard gets killed you know uh, and he's carnage announces he's going to probably kill j jonah jameson there and he wants everybody else to join in on the killing spree and this one guy speaks up and he says hey man authority bites but that don't mean killing people's cool and i'm like okay way to dodge that stereotype and i appreciate that <laughs> Right. I do. I really, really it, do. It took me until like the second or third time I went through this, but Carnage kills the lead singer too. Oh, oh, he does. He's I'm looking no. at it right there. Like, like I missed it the first couple of times. So they, they just seen him kill somebody. Yeah. And then apparently that that inspired this. Like I don't know. He looks like a cross between son-in-law and all in the family. And like a Hell's Angel guy and uh, and Charles Manson. So you put yeah. all three of those together, and here's this guy who just got a knife inside Madison Square Garden. I'm pretty sure they checked you for stuff even you, then. Yeah, this guy. Um, uh, but this guy, he meant it. He was ready. That's the weird part. Like it's like he thought that he might go to the concert and Pink Floyd's The Wall, and the guy on stage yeah. might say, "Hey, it's violence time." And he came prepared. He chose violence, and thankfully Spider-Man was there to stop. So we get Spider, we get Spider-Man's betrayal of Venom. Dean, I'll throw it to you here, man. You know that's kind of how we close things out with this issue, where Venom feels that he's betrayed by Spider-Man, and. But I almost kind of sided with Venom here, but go ahead. He was. That's the thing. It's so weird where he's like, I don't know. I can't let him go. I gotta, I gotta stitch him out to the Fantastic Four. Always great to see Reed Richards. But um, you left him on an island before. Why couldn't you put him back on the island? Like I don't understand. Like you had already decided he could go free. He had proven he wasn't really into much of anything. If you let him go free, he was just gonna, you know, go hang out. Apparently. And uh, no, I think it was weird that he betrayed him. I also think it's weird that we only get two members of the Fantastic Four here. Like, you know, I mean, I would have liked to have seen Thing punch Carnage. Oh, that would have been awesome. I'm always a fan. I don't like that Spider-Man lied. I get why it was set up because there's the J. Jonah Jameson exchange where he's like, Captain America will let him go. And Spider-Man's like, well, Captain America's perfect. He would have come up with a plan where he'd have to make the promise. I couldn't do that. So they want you to, you know, see the fallibility of the hero. But I just think it's weird. And this seemed to happen again and again throughout the storyline with Spider-Man was that like he couldn't do something he had already done. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, like he had already, like he didn't need Venom. He had already figured out how to beat Venom. He, so he knew how to beat Carnage. He didn't need to go get Venom, but he did. He, he's Now he's like, I can't let Venom go free, but you already did one. Yeah. I guess the caveat is Venom thought he was dead, but at the same time, you know, I just, I think that, you know, they, Venom was willing to bury the hatchet. If you're the hero, you should bury the hatchet too. He saved 
a baby. And, <laughs> right. And I mean, I mean it like you're like, what could Carnage do that's more evil than killing a baby? Well, that's why Venom had to be the one to save save the baby, because what could be more heroic than saving the baby? I really like the ending because I, I like that Spider-Man is put into a position where the only way he can beat the, the villain, and again, his, his main conflict here is with Venom, is by doing something he doesn't want to do, right? Like, absolutely does not want to make a promise, even to a guy he knows is bad, and he doesn't want to break that promise. And of course, Jonah is here to rub his face in it, but he does anyway, because that's how he can show he's kind of no longer afraid of him. Now, that just may be because, you know, Carnage is so much worse, and there are always going to be bigger threats out there. But I do love the fact that, that Spider-Man has to make this very you know to him a very personal sacrifice of like his integrity even if it is to this monster even if everyone would say well of course you did the right thing it's like well he would say but i that wasn't my intent i didn't lie to get him off the island i just changed my mind once we went through this so i i really like it because again it's one of those situations where like you know they save the day and he puts this guy in jail all of which are good things but he cannot go home feeling good about himself because he had a lie and he had to break a promise and do everything else and again it's like you know even when spidey wins he loses and i i just i thought this was the perfect way to hit home uh Derry, let me throw this back to you here real quick conspicuously absent as to what in the world happened we see cletus laying on the ground but the resolution is all like Let's cage up Venom and take him out of here. And there's nothing that just shows what happens with Cletus. It's like Dean said before, you know, he's he's the tornado, right? The to when the tornado breaks up, when the hurricane stops, you deal with the people. And, and it's the same way here. It's like once Carnage is stopped, once he's put down, he's done. But that's that's not the main conflict. The main conflict is, well, you know, now Venom is still here and he knows I'm alive and he knows my real name and he knows my wife's real name. And what am I going to do? And then you see his friends show up and you see how they deal with that. So to me, it was no. Nah, this this was the stronger resolution. So I, that didn't surprise me. Also, I, I I think at this point too, you know, we're we're three issues into this arc. I have to imagine that editorial knew how successful this was, and they knew well. Carnage is going to be back, so we can't yeah. kill him. Right. You know, we can't say he doesn't have powers anymore. Like you know, they must know. Like, hey, don't definitively do anything with this character. But you know, Michelini saw the opportunity to wrap up this this Venom story, and then as we've been talking talking about all along this is not the last we're going to see of venom like he is uh you know he's going to be a major player in in, in the marvel universe going forward right i think that also like if you look carnage was incapacitated carnage was unconscious from the sonics venom wasn't in my head canon the way i read it they caged venom up first because they had more time for carnage okay yeah, that makes sense. Huh? The other thing I always go back to with this issue, and I, I had to read it a few times, too, because I still wasn't 100% certain, is I, I love the fact that Jonah is in this comic, but at first I couldn't figure out why. It's like it's like you you just came out of jail. You're you're a serial killer. Why get this like, you know, relatively famous, uh, at least infamous guy, and, and why threaten him this way? And then it, it's it's kind of like oh, because he's the only one you know by name. You know, like I can't imagine uh, Cletus Cassidy is sitting in in prison and reading and everything else. Like we we know he likes music. That's great. We know he's a, an aficionado of prison shivs. But it's like right. yeah, you get out. You have all this power. You have your your new weapon. You want to do something. And it's like, well, I'm an agent of chaos. And this guy, you know, even though Jonah is known for uh, doing sensational journalism and, and, and stuff that, that, you know, sows a lot of dissent. It's like, well, he he's a representative of the establishment. I'm going to get him. And it's just so funny to me because he doesn't even know that, like, there's a connection with Spider-Man or anything. Right. Else. It's just like, I'm going to go uptown. I'm 
or downtown, I'm going to get this guy and I'm going to do something else. And then, of course, it's Jonah. So he makes himself part of the story. It's just one of those things where it's like, you know, this world is so well lived in that uh, when the characters interact, it really does uh, seem a bit more natural. So I, I think also, like like you said, he obviously knows every editor, assistant editor and writer on, you know, prison ship quarterly. That's a big <laughs> deal to him. But also think about the editorials that J. Jonah Jameson writes that are sensational. What are they? Spider-Man, threat or menace? He's he's a danger to the order. He's a danger to law. He's against the natural uh, paradigm of things. So even within his sensationalism, he's one of those people who is sensationalistically arguing for uh, a, a stricter order. So I think that also still tracks with not only would he know his name, but he but he would know his name because of the the philosophies he espoused, which are Anybody who isn't Captain America has to do everything the cops say. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and, and Cap's only great because I'm Jonah, and I liked him before the rest of you did. I, I right, was a kid, right, and right. I, I grew up hearing those stories and seeing those newsreels, even though if we didn't know his real name, we knew he he fought the good fight, even though he wore a half mask. So yeah, no, that that is an excellent point. That, that makes me appreciate this even more. The only other thing I want to talk about is, you know, we haven't gone into detail with this, but that that final page is is great with the uh, the the couple coming over from from Germany. Uh, it, it's so funny to me because obviously those are uh, people going to claim to be Peter Parker's parents, characters we hadn't seen in a very long time, and and certainly never seen in the present, usually in flashbacks. Uh, and I had not remembered that this issue featured their first appearance and uh you know they're going to be a major subplot going forward and and you, you know you guys mentioned maximum carnage before but my favorite scene in maximum carnage is when peter goes to his father here uh for advice and if i'm remembering this correctly the man just gives him like terrible awful advice <laughs> of like how to deal with carnage and, and everything else at that time so seeing the characters here seeing them introduced it's kind of like man not only can spider-man not catch a break which is entertaining for us but it's like this is going to kind of play into itself you know he thinks he's getting his parents back that's going to be a whole thing and then you know we know carnage will come back and uh they'll cross over again so i, I thought it was a great way to end it it just it ties into what I said earlier. This is a soap opera romance comic, and there's no bigger soap opera romance trope than here comes somebody who has it, who we we've made mention of, who's supposedly dead from Europe, from Europe, mind you, right? You know, on a plane. This is very soap opera moment, and then at the bottom of the page, the shocker. So you know, I mean, it's, yeah, it's really funny to see that. There's like, but also the shocker. Don't forget. Get ready. Overall, you know what's funny is talking to, talking to y'all. This is a better series than I, a better storyline than I think I gave it credit for reading it. I still don't think it's as good as I thought it was back in the day, but I do think there's a little more nuance to it. Having talked to y'all too about it, and I think really this is probably something that is more about individual moments. This is this is a vehicle to debut Carnage. It's a vehicle, in my opinion, to get Venom over as some kind of anti-hero. So you've got to pick your spots, like the spot where Human Torch is, you know, thinking about how. 
Spider-Man's not himself, or like I said, my favorite word, like Venom, put it there, partner. Yeah. The baby saving scene, the uh, you know, the Royal Rumble helicopter moment. These are all like really cool, uh, really cool moments. And I think for me, it's kind of like a uh, a Smiths album. It's less of an album mm. and more a collection of singles. And okay. these singles are really fun and of themselves. I don't know if overall I would recommend it as a cohesive vision, but I would recommend checking out every one of those moments. Yeah, I, I, I this is the first time I've read this story arc, guys. This is right. um, you just learned yeah. how to read. So. Uh, right, exactly. <laughs> I'm a metalhead. I mean, they, <laughs> I, things are a little slow around here, I guess. But no, this is the first time I actually sat down, read all three of these issues. I I think I own the first appearance of Carnage, but I've never just taken it upon myself to actually sit down and read the issue. And, you know, my, my final thoughts on it overall, it's a great introduction to probably, and I came to this conclusion a while back, I went through a Wikipedia article and was reading off Spider-Man's rogues, and Carnage was absolutely like the last rogue that i recall that had this much of an impact and the rest of them there was probably a good five or six other ones in there that just did not have the impact that carnage had and he's still to this day we're talking about this specifically because of a movie that came out featuring carnage and that's how big of a character carnage was and still is to this day uh, you know so, like we're gonna see a scorcher appearance in a movie mm, anytime i mean Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Scorcher don't know. would fit in well with the new films, considering he's a he's an untold tale character. Scorcher would fit right. in well. I, I'm a Scorcher fan. I'll, I'll, I like Scorcher a lot, too, but I'd be shocked to see him in a film. <laughs> you know, it's it's funny because the time period you're talking about, Carnage and Morloon, or however you pronounce his name, they're separated by about a decade. And that's a rough decade for Spider-Man. You know, that that's, that's the Clone Saga. That's the relaunch. Uh, more Luna, obviously, is created by JMS. Um, yeah. And there are tons and tons of characters created during that period. I mean, the, the Clone Saga is like, you know, that, that that's the hill I'll die on. But um, yeah, as far as long-lasting characters, we, we don't get a lot of them. I mean, there were certainly many like one-off villains, but yeah, none of them, none of them had the impact that, that this character did. Uh, and even, even more loon, like until they did the spider verse story, it was like, Oh, okay. You know, Spider-Man fought this weird Dracula type guy that one time. And then spider verse came out and it was like, Oh no, he's much more important than I thought he was going to be. But that kind of goes back to what I was saying before, where it was like, you know, this three part carnage story isn't just like, hey, we want to bring Venom back and hey, we want to introduce someone else. Like, this is a pretty tightly plotted three issues, you know? Like, most people who would read Carnage, they'd go, they'd read Maximum Carnage or they'd read the later stuff. But it's like, you can you can give this to someone and they, they can get a pretty good introduction to the character and they can see... Yeah you know, why he, why he's such a good spinoff of Venom. So yeah, I, I definitely think that it makes sense. We're still talking about him all that much more later. And, and again, just to hammer this home, this art, I mean, even if, even if you're not yeah. interested in reading all this dialogue, this is, you can pick these issues up. You can just look at the art. You're going to get a story and you're going to get some great, not, not even splash pages, but great full panels and stuff. I mean, no one lays this stuff out like Bagley. Yeah, I was really happy to read these. Uh, definitely makes me very excited for uh, for Venom Two and for the new Spider-Man movie. I mean, it, it's great to reread this stuff that I know I liked, and to to be rewarded at least a little bit. And it's like, oh, it wasn't just nostalgia. There actually is some good stuff here. So, rereading these was a dream, and uh, I hope others enjoyed as much as I did. Fantastic. Well, let's go ahead. We'll get into plugs. 
this would be a good time to plug a sponsor of the W2M Network, and that is Grammarly. For you, the listeners of Unspoken Issues, Grammarly is offering a free download of the Grammarly software. Grammarly's AI-powered products help people communicate more effectively. Grammarly helps you write mistake-free on Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and nearly anywhere else you write on the web. Grammarly corrects hundreds of grammar, punctuation, and spelling mistakes while also catching contextual errors, improving your vocabulary, and suggesting style improvements. To download Grammarly today, go to getgrammarly.com slash W2M network. Again, that's getgrammarly.com slash W, the number two, M network to download Grammarly for free. So for myself, yeah, hey, shout out to the Rattelitching Broadcasting Network and the W2Mnet.com for hosting the podcast. We appreciate it. Unspoken Issues is the uh, 90s comic book podcast that we feature. We try to get at least an episode out once a month, but you can catch us maybe every once in a while, every two weeks. Usually myself, Chris Armstrong, sit down. We'll talk about one single issue, but we also have our Unspoken Epics, which we've talked about. Uh, Transformers Generation 2, where these guys join me on. Uh, We also are planning on doing a discussion of Spawn and Wildcats Devil Day pretty soon. It'll be me and uh, Chris Armstrong sitting down and talking about that one. And, uh, oh yeah, hey, you can't can't sleep on our coverage of Rise of the Midnight Suns. That was mm-hmm. a lot of fun right there. We had a good time um, talking about some of the crazy stuff Ghost Rider and Johnny Blaze get into. Uh, it, it was fun. Um, a lot of windows were getting broken throughout those issues. So That's check it true. out. <laughs> it happened. Uh, but yes, <laughs> uh, you can uh, also check me out on my own uh, podcast, Source Material Comics Podcast, where, like I said, we just finished up four-parter, big-time four-parter on uh, 2014 Spider-Verse, getting everybody ready for that Spider-Man movie. Uh, so if you want to check that out, please feel free to do so. Had a wonderful guest on there by the name of Benjamin J. Cologne. He is a comic creator in his own right, and we've talked Spider-Man plenty of times. There have been some <coughs> Spider-Man fans I've talked to, and, and Benjamin's right up there, so it's always good to hear uh, hear from him and talk to him and have him on the show. So uh, I think that's it for me. Derry, do you have anything you'd like to plug, sir? Uh, I don't have anything currently. Uh, I would recommend that everyone check out The Unspoken Decade. Uh, everything over there is great, and certainly if you enjoy listening to the three of us, talk about comics from 1992 then you'll find some great stuff over there absolutely dean compton well y'all know that i'm just you know i'm mr 90s dr 90s the overlord of the <laughs> 90s whatever y'all want to say so we're over there at uh at uh, the unspoken decade.com i've been a lot more active on twitter recently at unspoken decade uh, we've actually had a lot of fun there uh look forward to sometime early next year i'm going to be on the wizard the guide to comics podcast we're going to talk about wizard number four 50 and i'm going to tell them why hero illustrated was better than wizard which it was oh man you get thrown <laughs> off i don't know what no i'm just i'm telling you this is this is a fact it's not an opinion um <laughs> also uh the facebook page we have a lot of great stuff over there semi fan posts just about every day and like i said go to the website maybe one day i'll write another article i sit down to do it and then i don't and that's that's my i don't have to make an excuse that's just the truth but I'll probably be doing a lot, you know, a lot more podcasts through here, you know, as time allows. In fact, I think uh, the three of us should get back together and continue some of this carnage stuff. We should do the Cosmic Carnage and we should do the Ben Riley Carnage. And uh, so that's another plug. That's a plug for something I don't even know what's going to happen, but it's going to happen. So, you know, the unspokendecade.com, that's where you'll mostly find me. And uh, at Unspoken Decade on Twitter, that's what, that's what I'm doing these days. It's very exciting. Nice. Very good. All right. Well, let's get on out of here for Dean Compton. Derry Wade, I am Jesse Starcher. We'll be talking to you soon. Thanks for joining us. Have a good one. 
Uh, bye-bye. Thank you all for joining us. Make sure to give that Rattelich in Broadcasting Facebook page a like to stay up on top of all the great podcasts we have to offer. We are at home on Spreaker, but you can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and recently we have hit the air on Spotify. Find your favorite podcast platform and type in R-A-D-U-L-I-C-H to subscribe for some great content. If you enjoyed this show, please feel free to share and spread the word. And as always, we appreciate any feedback and look forward to entertaining you again soon.